Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma radiated, and aired live every week only on the Non-Productive Network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio, as always, by Ken and Pete. Hi, Ken and Pete. Hey, Frank. What, what? And also Al. Hi, Al. Hey, how you doing, Frank? On Near Mint, we rank and review comics from best to worst. That's Mint, Near Mint, good, fair, and poor to you newbies. And trying to guide you in what to read and what might be better to avoid. This month, we are focusing on IDW and the IDW Hasbroverse, which is probably not the official name of anything, but who knows? Basically, all those nostalgia properties from toys in the 80s that IDW has done a great job of covering over the last few years, kind of mixing and matching the titles together. We're just going to pick selected titles, read them, and review. Also, uh, towards the end of the show, we've got some new books from... Marvel and DC, we want to cover two really big events, one super, um, I guess, momentous in a way, and one ridiculously fun. We'll leave you to decide which one is which. (laughs) Yes. Last week, we covered Transformers, IDW's relatively recent take on Transformers. That Uh, lame Gobots ripoff. Of course. Uh, This week, our uh, Hasbro-verse guide, Al, you uh, had us read two two different books. What's the first one we want to talk about? The first one I want to talk about is G.I. Joe Cobra. Uh, this was actually the introduction of G.I. Joe um, into IDW. This was their first book they put out um, to just sort of begin building their G.I. Joe universe. Way back. It, you did say G.I. Joe, right? Not G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, <laughs> yes. Back in 2009, yeah. Yeah, way back in 2009. That was, I was a little confused because there seems to also be a, uh, a G.I. Joe comic that came out about the same time. Yeah. Like just plain G.I. Joe. And I was a little confused as to whether or not the, this... Uh, this was released at the same time as that one, or if it was like this was over I, and done by the time. I feel like this was over and done by the time yeah. that came out, and then they they did GI Joe Cobra two, and I think that spun off into its its own thing its own as thing. well. Yeah, it fun. seems as if GI Joe Cobra was their uh, their first uh, yeah, this, this first defi- at This definitely seems like chronologically story wise, this is the introduction to the dynamic of GI Joe and Cobra because. At the beginning of this, it seems like G.I. Joe does not know about the existence of Cobra. Not at all. And there are four issues to to this, so it's pretty easy to pick up and and read and get caught up. I like the way the fourth issue actually ends with, uh, so if we made it this far, maybe you haven't killed us yet, uh, by the writers (laughs) and artists and the the illustrator. So let's go a little bit about a backstory. Uh, This follows a, this is like a very gritty a realistic um, war story in a way, or a modern, I would almost call it like a Jason Bourne-esque yeah. thing. Yeah, it's know? almost like a Tom Clancy type. Or, yeah, uh, yeah or, exactly. Um, if, or, definitely, love, I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're expecting red lasers and blue, blue lasers going off in this, you're going to be disappointed. Right, yeah. Uh, and it follows a our main character who is a mercenary uh, looking to do dirty things for the, the highest bidder uh, named Chuckles. Yeah, love, love it. it. <laughs> I'm all in on Chuckles. All in well, on Chuckles. Before we go any further, too, I mean, I remember watching the show when I was a kid, and I think I watched it up to, like, the original animated movie, and after that, I kind of just stopped. I, I never went back to G.I. Joe, so this is my first foray since the 80s, essentially, of, of going to G.I. Joe. Into the world of G.I. Joe. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's was there a it. Chuckles? I don't think there was a Chuckles. <laughs> I don't think I don't, there was either, actually. So I, uh, I think he did exist as an action figure, but I don't think he was a character right. in any of the And stuff. that has oh, IDW all over it. Like, look, look that up I will, if that's, I will if that's accurate. That that's amazing. So we're going to talk about that. Does, that's an IDW thing. Definitely in the Transformers verse where they yeah. find, here's a toy that was referenced. We even talked about it last time, last episode, uh, uh, a Japanese model of a toy. Yeah. Yeah. I was even wrong. Apparently Pyro is a European exclusive toy. So he, the, even the guy we were talking about that we 
we didn't they thought was made whole cloth actually did exist. So they were really picking obscure characters for that. So essentially, he was just a repainted uh, Optimus Prime, is what you're I think saying. he was supposed <laughs> for to Europe. be. But then they just... that's so odd to me. Yes, uh, do you have a uh, word? I do on have. Chuckles? I do have word. Uh, Chuckles is from Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay, uh, and did debut in 1987. Wow. In the toy line as uh, G.I. Joe, the G.I. Joe team's undercover specialist. Holy wow. crap. <laughs> and that is basically his homework yeah. in this. So that is, so as, here, uh, forgive me, Transformers fans. Oh, and he fans. was in the cartoon. In IDW's, the, the, in last uh, Stand of the Records and a few other books we read last time, I honestly, when these European and Japanese exclusives come up, I'm not impressed. I'm like, I don't, this is too much. Because they don't really, none of these characters have a ton of personality, or they don't, like, it's limited. You only have so many pages in a book, and maybe you develop personality after a while, but eventually you see giant robots fighting in a giant robot background. It doesn't quite land. In this book, in G.I. Joe Cobra, this character has hell of a lot of personality, and finding out well after the words that he was a toy from the 80s is, adds an extra layer of amazing. I think that's them doing it perfectly. That's them covering the toy property amazingly well. And uh, in- incidentally, he does look exactly the same with the blonde hair oh, and sure. the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. awesome. So good. So good. Uh, so, yeah, let's go through our, our history with G.I. Joe. It was a cartoon I watched a lot as a kid. Um, well, randomly, I guess, because I, I could not wake up early enough. I, w- I never watched cartoons in the morning. I think Flintstones was the cartoon I watched in the morning. And this was in syndication. If I catch it, I catch it. I, I remember, like, three episodes very well, and they were all shipwreck episodes. Oh, <laughs> oh the, the, no. the two-part <laughs> shipwreck one? Uh, the, yes. There was, was one with the one? dreams. That when, was was that the like one a, where, like, they, they set up this weird reality for him yes where he had a, a family and they yeah. all melted and that stuff is oh, one that of them. creeped me that out as a kid creeped me <laughs> out as a kid do you remember the second one anybody want to guess what the second shipwreck episode i remember i don't remember it w- i don't else. even know if it was really heavily shipwrecked maybe his accent was just the most there was a blob there was an episode where the gi joe fought a blob Oh my god, they did that again in G.I. Joe Renegades with Shipwreck on a boat. Like, in their updated, like, revamped show, they had an, a oh, Shipwreck wow. episode where they fought a blob on a ship. The, the way they stopped him in the original animated series was they got the blob to uh, attack an apple orchard. Because <laughs> apple seeds have trace amounts of cyanide in them. And that poisoned the blob. And I was like, oh, that that tracks as a child. I was like, I learned something about apple seeds. Yeah, yeah. I won't eat apples from now on. Yeah, that's why my health is what it is. That's why I can't keep doctors away. <laughs> oh, God. Ugh, that's the end of the show. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, that's it. I... I had a few toys, but they were always, like, leftovers of friends who, like, they broke their G.I. Joe. The leg snapped, and I got that. I didn't have any of the vehicles or anything else. Maybe, I don't know why. I guess because it was vaguely military-themed. Yeah. And it was not really. How about how about you two? I, I again, they, they uh, had guns and showed them firing guns on the cartoon, so I wasn't allowed to watch. Uh-huh. Oddly enough, I had a ton of the toys. <laughs> I don't get that. But Me I neither. It. Did you have the guns for the toys too? Yeah. Well, you can't get the toys without the guns. The guns yeah. came packaged with the toys. Yeah, you're right. I'm surprised and your parents just didn't give them to you loose. Yeah. And then- <laughs> no, I, w- I thought they would that open them up and take out the guns. Yeah. But I have I have fond memories from Christmases where uh, my father and uncle spent the vast majority of the day of Christmas pasting little stickers onto the the toys, mm. uh, 150 stickers that said "No Step" on the uh, the 
F-16 fighting Falcon. Wow. <laughs> uh, and there's a legendary story Pete has of a uh, uh, Christmas gift that went ungiven. Yes. The, uh, the, we'll, we'll tell it again, I guess. Yeah, the G.I. Joe headquarters that I found in my basement. Yes. My father just, oh, I Inbox. forgot to give that to you. Ugh, How many perfect. years later, still wrapped in the package and still is amazing. Wow. Still, still has the uh, the original Caldor price sticker. Nice, that's that's vintage right there. Uh, Al, how about you? What's your experience with it? Actually, um, I had a few of the toys. Like I think I had a like one of the '90s GI Joe bases. No GI Joe figures. I think I just had. I was very strange because I kind of always looked at them as like the discount Centurions. Well, Which is not true sure. at all. Wow. <laughs> the stupid things kids think. That's like thinking of Transformers as, oh, these GoBot ripoffs. And I know, Pete, what you're going to say and what you've already said, and no one cares. I wasn't going to this like, time. Like, doesn't, yeah. doesn't make any sense as to why I would think that. Yeah. Like, but, like, for whatever reason, I was like, no, these guys are cooler. They, like, get, like, armor and stuff. And I'm like, I no basis for that. Kids for are that dumb as hell. I never read Captain Marvel growing up because it was too on point. It's like Marvel Comics is putting out a book called Captain Marvel. Come on. Now I lie and tell comic book geeks, oh, it's because of Shazam as Captain Marvel, but no, that's not why. No. That was just stupid. That's mm-hmm. like a child. Well, I hate you on both counts for that, because yeah, I is. love <laughs> Shazam, but anyway. Oh, I love Shazam as well, but I actually knew him as Shazam yeah. because of the TV show. But no, uh, going back to, I, 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 w- I was fearful of that episode that you brought up, but one of my favorite memories was uh, coming home from school, praying that the, the five-part Serpentor origin oh, was yeah. going to play. That's that that right. was my fondest memory, I think, of the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, right before we... St- let's transition into comics in a minute, but because I totally skipped over reading comics as a kid. But, uh, the, yeah, we should talk about the, the animated movie, G.I. Joe, the animated movie, which is one of the two pillars that holds up 80s kid or in some cases, 90s kid life. That uh, and the Rainbow Bright movie. Yes, absolutely. Care Bears, both movies, both well, versions. Well, uh, I mean, Transformers, the animated film, and G.I. Joe, the animated film, do kind of have a weird story that, where they coincide. Right, it's like he actually guessed what you were really talking about. I wow. actually want to hear the story. What? How was that? I don't know if I've heard it. Well, when they kill Optimus Prime and, and all the kids were upset when oh, Prime was killed, yeah. that they changed the ending of the G.I. Joe animated film so that, was it Duke? Or, yeah, well, Duke was that, supposed that, to that, die. That Duke was oh, supposed to die. And, was and it because they had of that? The throwaway line was like, Duke made it. Or and everyone's like, yay. Very bad ADR. Yeah. What's so weird is they were killing off Optimus Prime because they had heard or had planned to kill Duke in the G.I. Joe movie. So like, oh man, we should do the same thing. This is the stupidest, (laughs) as kids are stupid in the 80s, but damn, adults were pretty stupid too. Like, that was so strange. But like, you see him take the snake directly in his chest. He's like, Duke has just slipped into a coma. It's like this ADR, like off in the background. Like, it's so bad. (laughs) They couldn't even get the original voiceover actors or the same studio. It sounded like it was There's even this weird moment in in, in the ending where like, um, Falcon is like looking up at the stars, like, thanks Duke. And like, uh, like, so like a shooting star goes by and a tear comes out of his eyes. It's like, you just heard he's fine. What are you like? Yeah. What is this about? Like, it's such a weird <laughs> out of place scene. About? All of that effort, and may- maybe that's why they never bothered to uh, to get rid of the placeholder name for the main villains. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the because so, the Cobra Law was just a placeholder name. Yeah. Oh, no. So I thought what I found interesting about it is in both these properties, because we're talking about nostalgia properties, um, Transformers jumped the shark after the movie because I'm like, everything is transforming into inexplicable spaceships now. I don't know what any of this mm-hmm. is. And G.I. Joe kind of did too because as much as I didn't like Serpentor, that's right, I did not like Serpentor. <laughs> Cobra Commander was where it's at. Hell's um, yeah. I really didn't like Cobra Law. And not that they showed up a hell of a lot afterwards, but it was enough when I was in the theater going, really? 
What is this? What am I looking at here? They were driving. Same kid who didn't have a problem with the blob being defeated by an orchard of apples. So do not listen to children, is what I'm saying. Just they're dumb. Before we get back to the comic books and one final nostalgia thing, I have to ask you uh, Cobra Commander, does he wear a helmet or a hood? Uh, I both. Definitely both. Uh, but my Cobra Commander definitely it's the helmet. I mean, anybody can wear anybody can wear a hood, but I don't mind him having like like casual Fridays hood. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I All like right. the hood. The, the hood battle is okay. the battle armor was terrible, but yeah. Oh man, I, I'm I'm really that guy that like that kid who thought that the completely white battle armor was like how he should look because that was the first time I saw him when I was used to and every time he had the hood or just the plain silver mask I was like no no the other thing that's what he's supposed to look like yeah. oh, the suit guy the suit guy yeah like uh, I mean I was that kid yeah so uh, now that we've gone through all that we let's deal with the the thing the show should be focusing on is comics G.I. Joe's Marvel comics were watershed for me though I did not read, oh, yeah. I mean, I may have missed the show occasionally, I didn't necessarily afford all the toys, but the comics, whenever I could grub those off of Friends, I read them, and they were stellar. Yeah, I agree. So I once saw Larry Hama at a convention, a comic book convention, and it was one of the few times I was too nervous to approach. I'm like, I shouldn't bother him. He's Larry Hama. <laughs> that doesn't happen to me often, and I did, and I, I'm, I regret it, so I'm going to go, next time he's anywhere, I should go and bother him. That's not a good that's not a good lesson to learn from that moment. But yeah, these amazing things uh, and the way it kind of like influenced other comics as well. I mean, I know Cobra is Hydra, but in many ways Hydra became Cobra. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they, they kind of influence each other back and forth. Uh, because there's that whole story about him working on Fury Force and with the son of Nick Fury and how those ideas became what the G.I. Joe comic was eventually going to become. So. It really is like looking into the history of these characters is fascinating, super exciting, and it's a wonderful... I love snapshots of things that have become huge properties now, huge, what we use the term, franchises now, but were like day jobs yeah. back when they were created, and I that, love that. that the, the thing is, the, the background of the comic books always amazes me, because they all grew out of those little dossier files yeah. that were printed on the back of the G.I. Joe toys, uh-huh. and Larry Hama wrote all of those. And the attention to detail that he put into that and and to world crafting when all he had was about four paragraphs on the back of an action figure line. Yeah. And I think what really appealed to me about especially the the, the comics from Marvel was that they all did grow right out of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's also not forget, like some of the most popular characters, he created a whole cloth for the comics. Like Baroness was not a an action figure; that was something he created purely for the comic book, and then eventually, like, graduated to the TV show. Nice, nice. So let's focus in on IDW and uh, their their take on uh, GI Joe Cobra. Mm-hmm. Uh, this story again, if it fo- follows Chuckles, who we meet as a GI Joe dropout. I'm putting air quotes or scare quotes on that. Uh, who is now a mercenary out for hire and who's attempting to or is being recruited by a mysterious organization that seems to be to have like evil as its agenda. A terrorist organization, but really just a a group of people who are out there to destabilize the world in a way that as we find out the scheme as it goes on is a pretty like rational, not cartoony Mm -hmm. policy. It's not blocking out the sun or controlling the weather. It's, you know, destabilizing these 
uh, emerging nations and then supplying them with the ability to protect themselves in the in the course of a private army. And yeah. it's that to, is alone fascinating. Can I? Was it just me, or was it weird that he had to kind of be let go or fired to get rehired to become? This, uh, oh yeah, double agent. It's part of the cover too. Oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's part of the, the cover. cover. Like- yeah, and I think that's important for these. The, this series, it's surprisingly realistic for a property that has at some times, you know, dealt with Shangri La or Cobra La, <laughs> and has at times dealt with you know weather controlling devices and giant lasers and all that. So like the concept is sound. It's you are part of a uh, anti terrorism group, and the way you're going to do this is by being deep cover and doing horrible things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, super gritty too. The book is does not shy away from violence and from the ends justify the means philosophy. Yeah. If you don't like comic books where your main protagonist burns down peasant villages with a flamethrower, uh, don't read this book. Yeah, and that's, I think, a valid argument. I think a lot of people are like, where's my lasers and giant dinosaurs and stuff? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, yeah, this isn't the book for you. This is not the version of G.I. Joe. There is some ridiculousness to it. There is a... Hyper realism. There's like melodrama. You know what I mean? Yeah. When the the wall of TV splits up and the giant Cobra logo is revealed, it is there's impact to that. But um, it at the same time, it is it's squarely in the world of perhaps. Yeah, yeah, it could happen. And I, I I like the the feeling that this is good. I can see the world of GI Joe that we're used to evolving out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. It seems kind of silly to think about when you when you're hit with gr- this gritty realism, but I can see this as the early stages of the conflict between GI Joe and Cobra. I can definitely see it. it's like it's on an arms race essentially. Like yeah. now that they've learned about Cobra, GI Joe will have to step up its game and get that much better, and so Cobra uh, responds in the exact same way. And these yeah, these two organizations are going to have to start developing yellower and yellower vehicles. <laughs> just, just for branding purposes, yeah. really. Uh, yeah, this isn't quite the, um, like, it's a step, it's it's in the Batman Begins world of this could happen. Mm-hmm. It's a little exaggerated that it would happen. And that arms race of I have to build more costumes and have more gadgets and my the people I'm fighting are more insane and deranged is potentially in the future, but most of this exists in, in sort of the too close to reality to be comfortable. Uh, let's do a quick recap of the book uh, and then talk about what our, our takeaways are. Mm. Um, again, Chuckles uh, drops out of G.I. Joe on purpose uh, as part of a deep cover operation where he's infiltrating an organization that we will find out is Cobra. There he meets a couple of people who look very much, they've got the earmarks of classic Cobra characters. There are people who look ve- identical. There's the the, the, the twins, the, the raven-haired beauty who's second Apparently in command. Apparently a baroness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, the unknown Mr. X who is the commander behind everything. Uh, perhaps the commander of this organization called Cobra Cobra. Um, there's a lot of little things that show up that kind of tease that there is this bigger world out there. But as part of this deep cover operation, Chuckles is having it's such a ridiculous way of referring to him. <laughs> he's having to justify more and more horrible things he's had to do. Uh, and eventually, and in a very like a climactic turning point in the story, loses contact with G.I. Joe and has to or decide. So yeah, potentially. And, and we have to decide whether or not or he has to decide whether or not he has to keep going in this increasingly dark direction uh, in the attempt to take them all down, or does he save his own conscience and bail as soon as he can? Um, and it's 
Amazing. I think you ever can. Yeah, and this is like for people who like spy thrillers. This does spies better than anything else I've seen do spies. Uh, I'm, mm. I'm kind of like tipping my hat on what I'm going to review this book, but it's better than any James Bond story. Oh, also, it's God, yeah. yeah if, if you like nostalgia, even if you don't like spy stories and you like nostalgia and comic books, this is the spy story for you to read. Yeah. Here's my biggest problem with it, because this is about the time that the G.I. Joe movie was going to be coming out. Yeah. All Why right. couldn't they have done this instead of the movie that we got? <laughs> I think we're going to deal with this in the next book we review. Yeah, we on, are. On what people expect from these nostalgia properties. Let's talk a little bit about what our, our strongest takeaways are from this book. And then we could probably answer that question of why the movie wasn't this way. Uh, for me, I, I really think it's the character of Chuckles. He reminds me a lot of Clint Barton in Matt Fraction's take on uh, Hawkeye. There's this kind of mm-hmm. like, I just, I'm, I don't have a choice on what I'm doing. I don't know. I'm not quite good, and I'm not quite bad. Where Clint, you know, Clint is far more on the good than, but you know, I'm doing the best that I can. Um, and a mixture of all the spy movies I wish were made that don't get made that 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 go deep into the psychology of a person who has to do terrible things just to stay around long enough. It's like a true crime podcast where you find out this like FBI guy has been with the mafia for uh, 10 years to get enough evidence to take them down, but during that time has been witness to horrible things just and letting it happen because it's, you have to. It's part of the job. Yeah, that, I mean, that grittiness, the realism, and the fact that it still had the flavor for me of G.I. Joe is what I like. That pulled a, the, that's the strongest thing I pulled out of it. I actually, believe it or not, I think the romance aspect of the story was a, a heartbreaker for me. The introduction of Jinx and their relationship, I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately what had to happen, yeah, just it, it killed me. I'm going to be real. That was actually one of my minor problems with it was like that Jinx wound up uh, having a relationship with a guy that was casually racist to her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it did get better, but it was like it was one of those things like, eh, I could have dealt with that. that. But it, I definitely like where it went. That was that and her subtly trying to tell him the mission comes first. Was it so much racism, though, or was it in character of him just joking? Oh, yeah, I'm sure I mean, it was. But, but I, they were racist I, jokes. I, yeah. I, I, right. At very least, I feel like he was not a good guy in any respect in this. In many respects, he was not like, mm-hmm. like a person mm-hmm. who would want to be. Yeah. So I think that kind of helps illustrate that, but I, I totally understand yeah, your point. It's definitely not aspirational. And uh, I, I have to thank this book just for giving me, a, you know, and, and one more scene than I expected in a G.I. Joe comic that was set in a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this this was a, a great story. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Let's, let's do, let's this, do. this to me honors the uh, the source material, which is always a big deal for me. Uh, while at the same time reinventing it and turning it into something you're not expecting per se. I think that honestly, I, what I like the most about it is probably the the conclusion. It really, really works because I kind of saw the ending coming a mile away, which was eventually they're not going to figure it out, but they've known all along, mm-hmm. like or at least have gotten to a certain point. I like how they figured it out. I I like how far he got before they figured it out. And I also like the twist of the twins, which I didn't see. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like you had uh, Zoltar and um, Tomax Tomax and Zamat. Zamat. Yep, that was it. And I thought that was like, that's unexpected. I didn't see that coming. That's really cool. And I like how he just figured out how to destroy the headquarters with the bats. That was really, really good because I didn't see that coming. I think the conclusion worked really, really well. And I also like that they throw this great line in there, which is this is just the Crimson Guard. 
Like, there's, there's a more. whole mm. cobra out there. Mm. And I'm like, that really shows the, the depth and the weight and the size of this organization. All right, so let's do, obviously we all have strong feelings about this. Let's do a real quick re- uh, roundtable review because uh, I, I mean, it's clear. Um, for yeah. me, Mint. I love this book. I would recommend this to anybody who would want to read it, who would want to read like a G.I. Joe or a spy novel. Going back and thinking about the old Joe comics and then reading this, I was shocked. I loved Antonio Fuso's art. I thought it was mm. gritty for this story, which I didn't think I was going to like originally. And the extra plus for me were the, were the Howard Chaykin covers. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of him. Mm. And for me, I'm going to go min on it. All right. I, uh, I honestly can't recommend drinking orange juice after you read this book because like uh, like a, a fresh aqua fresh toothpaste, this was minty fresh. Oh, nice. I'm also gonna say mint. I think it's I think it's a classic. I think it's there's a lot of that like Nick Fury influence in here that like nice. while I was reading it, it did feel like that comic book. Oh yeah. my god. I, I, I think this may be a near mint first. Because I think this is our first four-way mint. <laughs> it may so. very well be. All right, sounds good. So clearly, nothing can go wrong from here. <laughs> let's read our. Let's talk about our next book. Also, IDW. Also, Hasbro. Also, primarily GI Joe. We're going to talk about a three-issue. I almost called it a, a limited series, but that's not quite what happened. Scarlet. Extraordinarily limited series. Yeah. Scarlet, Scarlet Strike Force. So yes, this is about a year old now. Uh, only three issues were put out. The series was canceled in mid-run. We're not going to talk about the politics or whatever of that because there's plenty of things, and it's been more than a year since this happened. We are going to talk about the book itself, though. Yep. This is tonally a, a one eighty. From hmm. the book we just read. Uh, in this, uh, Scarlet, who is in charge... Of, first of all, this feels like it begins in media res. And it does in many ways. Mm-hmm. There is a female Cobra commander, who we find out in the course of the books is, in fact, the Baroness. Although, don't call her that. Uh, there is uh, Scarlet is in charge of G.I. Joe because uh, Duke left? Or is it something? He's been... Uh, side moved into another position. Yeah, I think he's in the American Duke, military. Yeah, Duke now. is now in the U.S. military. Yeah, uh, and there are a bunch of new Joes on the team. A bunch of the classic Joes you may remember are either offline or actually two of them are in the brig uh, in the middle of the story. Oh, and also there's a Transformer on the team. Wait, what? <laughs> well, I'm yeah, sorry. no, the, I didn't the, read uh, this. Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> no, the, I mean, you know, the GI Joe's goals align very closely with the Autobots. They, uh, they're... Yeah, he's a Decepticon. Want to, uh, he was a former Decepticon. You read this, so thank you for the, the I was stage setting one. that up. Uh, yes, a um, former Decepticon yeah. uh, whose name escapes me. Skywarp. Why am I just bad at Decepticon? <laughs> Come on, Frank. Skywarp. Yeah. The, 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 the plane that really, likes me- that really likes metal music. Yeah, uh, he is a member on the team. This is they, the characters reference the lasers they're shooting out of their guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cobra is specifically Cobra Law. They are using dire wraith magic, so we're getting deep into this Hasbro mixed properties. That dire wraiths are a Rom the Space Knight element mm-hmm. uh, using dire wraith magic to summon and to con- to uh, contort and magically transform their underlings. Uh, hapless fools into serpent people 
who can fight for Cobra. Cobra anarchists? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, let's see. They're turned into vipers. Uh, they are Actual fighting... Actual vipers. Yeah. Like, they, these guys are snakes. Yeah. They're fighting in a... Uh, basically in the Savage Land. The yeah. Antarctic that's thawed out and full of dinosaurs. Oh, no. I, I think this is the North Pole. Oh, well, there we go. Copyright so it's, it's, reserved. It's legally distinct <laughs> from the Savage Land. Distinct. So it's yeah. everything I didn't like about the animated movie. I guess. There's a lot of it. There's Plus certainly dinosaurs. Cobra. Yeah, what? They, they did mention Globulus <laughs> and, and had many characters who not remember could not pronounce Globulus. Uh, it was interesting. Um, so it's yeah, totally at one eighty. My initial review of these books, just to give you an idea, was I enjoyed them for what they were. They were fun, goofy. I liked how they kind of put the. This was a lot better than some of the other Transformer books we read last time. Even though I did like Last Stand of the Records, but it was obviously there was one Transformer there, so it was very easy to know who he is. But mm-hmm. he interacted with people in a way that made more sense, except for the first few pages where I was like in the middle of I don't know what's going on again. <laughs> the trans because our our main character Skywarp was turned miniature so he was the size of a human and they were fighting bug people and I'm like what is this and this came right after reading G.I. Joe Cobra so total shock to the system I actually wasn't sure I think they were fighting regular sized bugs and they were all shrunk down to the size of bugs it's hard to say because Skywarp they, keeps calling humans insects, but in this case, they were fighting insects. I'm looking at it, too, and it's like Skywarp's the same size as a human. I was yeah. trying to figure out Just what, what the logic there was, was. There was a little bit of dialogue in that where they were saying uh, that the tech, whatever technology they used to shrink them... Uh, mass displacement. Mass yeah. displacement like works on the size. Yeah, yeah. So whatever size you start You're off at, right. you end up... You're, the, you're, the one set size. You are probably right. There are other characters that show up in this. There's um, um, Max something or other from Matt Mask. Tracker. Matt Tracker from Mask, who I remember for the commercials more than anything else. <laughs> but yeah, Matt Tracker's in this. He's a lot less referenced. white and blonde than he was in the original <laughs> Mask. Right. Which doesn't get an awful lot of explanation, but I assume that, that that's tackled in, or not tackled in the actual Mask yeah, book. I also think it's at this point if you can't remember mask enough to, to care, maybe it you're doesn't okay. really matter. Um, but he still uh, wears the same clothes, so yeah, that's that's, that's really a plus. Poor. Look, clothes make. Uh, and uh, yeah, am I missing any other Hasbro references in this? I don't think. Oh, so. Oh, there's a really random one in here, which is the Intruders from the the Super Joe team um, oh. from way way back, like with GI Joe Extreme. Was like, that? no, 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 we're talking before there was the three and three quarter inch G.I. Joes, and there was like the... Oh my god. Like, wow. when the G.I. Joe Super Tomb used to fight the the intruders from another world, like these big, almost gorilla-looking guys with like the yellow vests. They're, that's what that dude is? That's what that dude is that shows up, and that's the that's caveman the, that starts fighting yeah. dinosaurs oh, with them. Oh, that's what that dude is. There's so much of that in these <laughs> Yeah. Um... If you want to read this and enjoy it, you really have to be willing to be like, I don't care. Yeah. There's got to be, like, because there's no explanation. They have a previously, the first book, and every book opens up with a last time on uh, on the, in this book series, but the very first previously did not explain anything. That was the most ridiculous previously I've ever read. It was pretty worthless, uh, in my opinion. What, what made it ridiculous to you? Anything in particular that calls out? Or I just don't uh, remember. So uh, here's what I did like about the same, the, in the introductions. The little pop-ups. They kind of explain who the character is in a one-line little synopsis. That's where I got the corporate commander. Don't call her the Baroness. I'm like, that explained it. Yeah. I know who that is now. Nobody, no no meta dump, no 
no exposition character. I just, all right, cool. That was well done. And I wish they had done that. They had continued that level of that throughout the book. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if I needed it after that first issue. The first issue was the one I was like, huh? Well, I don't need the guys that they did in the first issue, but when they introduced new characters, yeah, I guess so. Give us a little bit of a heads up on these guys. And uh, I, I, you know, like I didn't really care why snake eyes was in the brig for, uh, disobeying Scarlet's order. I love the fact that scar is her nickname. I'm like, that's pretty smart. Stupid little things made me happy. It was fine. It was okay. Here's where in pre-production, I almost (laughs) killed Al. So I'm willing to take this as a grain of salt saying, hey, this is a 180, tonally 180, doesn't matter. It's different universe. That's fine. Do we need to talk about G.I. Joe Cobra, though, since we're talking about how the Hasbro verse kind of works? And clearly, G.I. Joe Cobra isn't part of the same universe. And Al, you have this. What did you tell me? That they were? Absolutely. This, these these exist in the and what's weird is like we were literally just talking about this how they would get into that arms race and like and this is just like that weird eventuality that we get to a, with that one upsmanship over ten years. I disagree. First of all, ten years is insane, and one upmanship that suggests that if they ever did Dark Knight four then it would be uh, Jerry Bruckheimer's Dark Knight 4. <laughs> that everybody would be have neon pipes and they would be punching each other in the alleyway and stage fights. And I'm, holy great, Batman. I don't... That's not Frank, right. I, I, I need to stop you there for a second right. and defend Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> oh, uh, did because I get the wrong it was one? Joel Schumacher Joel that Schumacher, did that I did Batman. that. I, I knew my brain was uh, was misfiring on that one. It's but okay. You know what I mean by that, right? Like I it's, do. it's not quite the arms race... Because, again, it's oh, tone. Yeah. Tone changed in the books, and that's what throws me. I agree. I do have a, uh, a hard time believing that the Cobra Commander in this book is the same woman that slept with Chuckles in Such Cobra. A stupid sentence. But yes, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. it just doesn't... F- it, uh, and honestly, it makes me feel like I want to review this book harsher, because I loved Cobra. I mean, we gave it all a round table of mints. Yep. G.I. Joe Cobra. And if this is what it became in 10 years, ugh, really? I have major problems with that. I, I, I don't know about that. I, I don't really have a problem with different tonal things going on. I mean, if I had to compare it to the real world, I'm the, uh, I'm the kind of guy that is okay with the fact that we've got the Netflix Marvel shows and the movies and I'm comfortable with the way they cross over or the fact that you don't see Daredevil interacting with Thor because why would those two guys' paths cross? I'm going to ask, like, while you may be comfortable with, like, the Netflix shows and the movies, are you comfortable with, say, like, a show like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. being in the same universe as the Netflix shows? Absolutely. Okay. Even more so because, I mean, really, what business do these guys have to do with crossing over with the Avengers. And it's more of a tonal thing with those with those different shows, yeah, which too. Is one, yeah. which, which is more, I was saying, more relatable here, because, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is very tonally different to the very grounded yeah. Netflix shows. I would say that, yeah, if you take Ant-Man and the Wasp and you take um, uh, Jessica Jones, those shows do not, uh, tonally, they're not the same. Uh, they absolutely exist in the same universe, though, because you could see that part of the stresses that are on Jessica are the way... Others are treated. People with supernatural powers mm-hmm. are treated, um, or uh, super science powers are treated, and that is established in the same yeah. universe as Ant Man and the Wasp. Or even Ant-Man. if even if you never meet, you know, yeah. Jessica Jones never actually meets uh, Tony Stark. Right, right. So I totally understand that argument, Pete. I have a little bit of problem with it in this one because I still don't see 
how G.I. Joe Cobra could ever end up becoming like it doesn't there isn't even like the thinnest threads of and after 10 years you know that organization that was trying to manipulate the world by destroying currency and killing uh you know banana republic dictators they find an island full of dinosaurs (laughs) and they use magic to summon their their snake god literally so for i me, I, it's a chip on my shoulder, maybe. I'm not saying that everyone has to read it my way, but I totally understand someone who would just like this is too far, like this is too yeah. much for me. I can't do it, and I can't I, fault you for feeling that way. But I can't either. I like, disagree. It's really interesting that we had a conversation about comic books and weren't able to uh, totally destroy each other and say horrible things. We allowed each other to have different feelings. Wow. Hmm. If only the world could do that. Yeah. Um, Scumbag. Yeah. Well. All right. Um, jerk. Uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, so my review of uh, Scarlet and, uh, Scarlet Strike Force, uh, did get tempered by realizing it was the same universe as G.I. Joe Cobra. Um, but there were, there were things, things I liked Things we liked about into it. things we really disliked. Yeah, I, one of the things I really liked was actually, uh, Skywarp. I love Skywarp and, um, Metal. Rock and Roll. Was it Rock and Roll? Rock and Roll is his name. I love their conversation. I love the dream about Jim and the Holograms. I love (laughs) another IDW property, by the way. Yep. I just I thought it was a lot of fun, and I thought it was really cool, and I liked how they seemed like it would make sense for them to have a conversation like that, and uh, and uh, Mm -hmm. the relationship that they have with each other. I I was a huge fan of the uh, the conversation between Crocmaster and Raptor. I agree completely. Oh, that was great. Uh, re- regarding the nature of dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely and, awesome. Again, two absolutely ridiculous Cobra characters. And they were portrayed and drawn in these cases exactly like the old action figures and comic book characters. Yeah. And it it was it was amazing. Yeah. I, it just Perfect uh, writing on that. Very faithful. I'm I'm blown away. And hilarious. (laughs) I actually really liked the introduction to this. And that was one of the reasons why I I, I thought issue one was great. And then just it did sort of tapered off as I continue to read it. um, Was where Cobra Commander is like putting their like their business associates and like all the people that have like come here to like and turning them into the Vipers. And Destro kind of looks over and he's like, so... What's happening to them? Are they like getting possessed? Are they being mutated? And like she gives the greatest response ever, which is, "Who cares?" Yeah, like yeah, like it's very. Like it was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, there were some good lines in both these books. The she was a nobody, and the uh, who cares? Like, cut, fun. You, cut you deep. Uh, yeah, I yeah. So it was it was pretty fun. I liked uh, seeing dinosaurs getting ninja kicked. Yeah, oh, that was really <laughs> fun. Happened. I'll say one thing. One detail I really liked about the dinosaurs in this one were the sound effects that oh, they yeah? were making. The first time we're introduced to the dinosaurs is just through a couple of sound effects. And they're, it was like squawk or screech or something like that. It's their bird sound effects. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, uh, that conversation is priceless. It made me we give the review even higher. Yeah. Uh, so let's do a quick roundtable of reviews. Um, I want to give this book a near mint. There's a lot of fun things in there. There's that dinosaur conversation is amazing. There's a lot of the art is really cool. I love the fact that I think this is how you mix properties well. I like the way the Transformers. Just I agree. A little, a little dash, mm-hmm. Dire Wraith, just a little dash, enough for it to be interesting. Uh, Mask, just a little dash because it's the same thing. Uh, but I think I tip over to good because. 
it's abrupt. It ends, and because of that little, like, it's it's a f- weird follow up. I'd be I would have been much happier not ever knowing that this was part of the same universe <laughs> as uh, Chuckles uh, Osborne. I'm I'm going to uh, I gotta say I'm not I'm not going to fault them for canceling the book. I'm not going to judge it based on that. I'm just going to judge what we have. And I really enjoyed the pacing, the humor, the way they blended the properties. It was all, it all spoke to my inner child. I really enjoyed it all, but I feel like it needed to be a little bit more focused. So I can't give it a mint, but I will give it a solid near mint. Nice. I uh, I really feel like there's like again like you guys said there's some great dialogue in there there's some great action in there too like really that was one of the few things missing from G.I. Joe Cobra was like some serious solid action scenes and like I feel like we got this in like I mean buckets um, the quick kick and uh, storm shadow fight especially I thought was really mm-hmm. good um, it does end abruptly but I, again we that's not the fault of the book but at the same time it kind of happens but I feel like that and some of the minor pacing issues especially that rough start. Um, definitely gives it like a near mint for me. Oh, we came so close to getting a three-way near mint. I'm sorry, guys. It's just it was just a little bit off for me. Uh, oh man, uh, where's way. Chuckles during all this? Is what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> is he just drinking, going like I don't I don't even know. Read Cobra Two, I, I guess. Oh hey, yeah. yeah, I'll do that. By the way, I, read the read uh, Scarlet Strike Force. And, and get to the end of the third issue. And I, I actually kind of like just sitting there with that as the end. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, well, yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm in uh, agreement on that. Uh, I've played so both games happened. like that before. The end. <laughs> All right. I promised some Marvel and DC news, and we're going to go through it real quick for you right now. Uh, first up is Marvel. Iron Hammer. Just, Iron Hammer. Just got released. It's part of the Infinity Warps line, uh, Hope, for lack of a better word. Obviously, you listened to uh, the show last week where we if discussed uh, Sorcerer's, uh, Soldier Supreme, right? which was the combination of Captain America and Doctor Strange. It's something weird with Infinity Gems. Trust us. Yeah. Uh, and now we're doing uh, Iron Hammer, yeah. which is, uh, you know, clearly a combination of, uh, you know, Jubilee and Squirrel Girl. Mm, yes. No, uh, Iron Man and Thor. Yes. Iron Fist and Justin Hammer is where I would have gone. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, that was too logical. Yeah. Iron Man and Thor. Uh, so it, it's an... Uh, you know what? I had no idea how they were going to make this story make sense. Uh-huh. Uh, similar to Soldier Supreme, it didn't really feel like it made sense to me. Uh, are Pete and I the say, only ones who read this one? So, yes. I was like, do you feel they eventually made it make sense? I think it was great. I really? thought it really did. Uh, so I'm, I had a I'm, feeling you were going to like. I'm this, approaching actually. these books very much like this is fun because mm-hmm. that's what comics are. But like also that I don't have to worry too much about like oh I'm going to read this for three years and the continuity is going to be thrown out the window because it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, these are one to two issues. Fine. And I like the way the creative teams get to play with these characters, and I really like this one. So I like the dynamic, the rich guy who came out of the Nordic waste five years ago with no memory of who he is, and he becomes. Uh, like a millionaire uh, tech mogul who has all these ideas in his head. He doesn't know where it comes from. And I'm like, this makes perfect sense. This really does feel like it could have been a origin. Mm -hmm. I like the mixture of, what was it, Journey to Mystery? Or is it Journey to Suspense? Journey into Mystery and Tales of Suspense. It was Journey to Suspense. This was Journey into Suspense. Little Easter eggs like that were fun. That was the title of the story for those of you who didn't read yet. I I like the way it teased mythology and teased Iron Man's mythos as well. And yeah. I think it did it in a way that I, I really enjoyed. What do you think? Uh, 
I, I didn't enjoy it so much. This no. one this one felt forced to me. Um I I think the the general plot of it was kind of okay. I I didn't like it, but it's a clever way of doing it. Like everything you said there, uh, I was actually really turned off by the old '60s style storytelling. Really, at the very, especially at the very beginning, mm. which felt very jarring to me when you combined it with a, a very distinctly modern art style. Oh, really? It's like if they had done those first few pages. Where where they're talking about oh Sigurd Stark wanders out of the if they had done the it in like a sixty style if if they had done that in like a, a, a John Romita Senior uh, style I could see that I, I would have appreciated it more or Steve Ditko yeah style I could see that Jack I, Kirby that's I who I, I was told, really thinking of I really enjoyed it because for me it was like I expect a modern art take and I like that they gave me the classic narration which was intentional yeah. so for me it, I landed but uh, that, I that's what I had a feeling you would like most mm. um, but yeah it, it was interesting we'll go through some of the characters go for it uh, so there's the Crimson Curse which is obviously okay. a mixture of, the Crimson Dynamo right um uh, there is. We have the elves, right? The, I don't think they did anything with them. Not much, but they replaced the uh, the various military elements that exist in Tony Stark's shifting origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, be it you know, with being lured into the dark Middle forest. Eastern terrorists. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they replaced that with elves. Right. We don't have a, uh, a benevolent scientist to help uh, the, the Iron Man but work on his... benevolent th- dwarf. Right, working on... Trust me, it reads off better than it, the summary is. And there's a couple other little things. There's hints at... I thought at first was Loki, but there's a little bit of hell in there. And um, just a lot well, of... Well, you, like, you, you had a few of them. You had um, Malekith, mm-hmm. who doesn't change his name, but he's Malekith, the master of the Ten Re- Realm Rings. Right. Which just looks neat. Uh, so he, he's co- uh, combined with... Um, and he's split down the middle, right? He's he's black on one side and he's blue on the other. Yeah. So he's, he's Mandarin there. Yeah. That is, I believe, Loki. It's Loki and... Uh, oh, no, mean? it's Obadiah Stane. He's Stane Odinson. All right. So that's, that's Loki and Stane. And then you have, uh, was it Madam Hell? That's right. Which is Madam Mask and Hell. Oh, so good. I really, I love the way this works. I, it's a lot of fun. It I feels like the like, foreshadowing on that with the, uh, the, the golden mask of death, uh-huh. which is what Iron Hammer has. And it looks like that flat mask that Madam, Ma- that Madam Hell in this wears. Yeah. So they share the same face mask. It's interesting. I do think it's. I think it's a lot of fun for me. It feels almost like somebody started up a role playing game, mashing up Marvel characters. Yeah, and I'm all in it. Uh, so for me, yeah, I, this is a near mint. I enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. Fair enough. I just, I'm not impressed by these so much, but they're not bad, so they're good. All right. Okay. And uh, on the DC note, yeah, DC's got a a big heavy dropping this week uh, with Heroes in Crisis number one. Mm. Kicking off a seven-part limited series, the latest crisis to hit the DC universe. Right, which at first I kind of rolled my eyes at. Yeah. Well, crisis is usually the uh, the earth-shattering, universe-shattering uh, stories, but this actually takes its cues more from the uh, early two thousands identity crisis. Mm-hmm. We should also state we're not going to do any spoilers for this thing because yes. it's brand new. But it's at the time of this recording, uh, give us a little background on what's going on here. 
uh, well, basically, like Identity Crisis, Heroes in Crisis is a much more personal inner turmoil, an inner crisis that, uh, that the superheroes are facing. And it centers around Sanctuary, which is a essentially a crisis center for superheroes. Who are dealing with trauma. Yeah, for heroes to go to when they are overwhelmed by the trauma of their heroic careers. You, know, right. you, you figure how many uh, planets that you almost sa- saved from genocide. Right. Or even if, you know... But not quite. Yeah, you only wiped out one... Mongol only wiped out one continent. Even uh, real-world heroes of much smaller scale will mm-hmm. uh, have that, even when they're successful. Just the, the, the constant facing of crime yeah. and, 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 and fire and natural disaster, it's taxing, and this is uh, first I've ever heard of it, the concept yeah. of how do heroes deal with it. And, it, and this has been seeded a little bit throughout the DC universe in recent months and years where there'll be an offhand mention of somebody going to sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the first time we actually get to see any of it. And boy, does it make a f- hell of a first impression. Yeah. And as and I'm not going to go into anything that DC didn't do in their uh, previews for this, mm-hmm. but basically what happens in issue one of this is there is a mass casualty incident at sanctuary. Yeah. And this story is going to be dealing with the repercussions of that. Some big names uh, show up in this story uh, on various ends of the. Uh, there, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, pretty shocking to read most of it. I, not um, not sh- not for shock value. Not no. like uh, just like a stunt thing, you know, that comic companies do so often. Uh, but this actually does seem like it's a very poignant story that's yeah. going to be interesting to follow. This is, things that happen in this are significant enough that made my first reaction, well, I guess DC is going to be rebooting their universe in the near future. Mm. Oh, yeah, just to deal with the consequences of that. Yeah. Uh, I was less um, pessimistic about that. Uh, which is maybe unfair of what you're you're feeling, no, but um, yeah. like uh, for me, I just think this, this is a pretty powerful story. And it I'm is. actually for the first time in a while excited to hear what happens next. Oh, definitely. So I hope you're excited about what's coming next from Near Mint. If so, please subscribe to our channel. We're going to do more IDW books in the coming weeks. And of course, we're going to follow all the big releases and keep you up to date. Uh, follow us on social media as well. And that way you could see our inane ramblings there. Because, obviously, you need more quality comic geeks in your life. Indeed. Badawang. Howdy, folks. This is Frank from non-productive.com interrupting your podcast feed for this urgent message. We're putting on our first Kickstarter, and we need your help to reach our goal. And beyond! Nonpro is planning a movie night. A movie marathon where we're streaming some of the best of the worst flicks of all time. And we're raising money to cover operating expenses for the year. Every dollar you donate gets us closer to some truly, truly terrible films. And we're going to stream the entire experiment for you, our loyal fans and supporters. Oh, and hey, we're also donating some cash to the ACLU. Because protecting our right to speak out is sort of important, don't you think? And if you support our Kickstarter, there are some awesome rewards in it for you, including watching some ridiculously amazing films with us in studio. To donate, please head over to non-productive.com slash movie night and show us your support. Thanks. Thanks. 
This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.